All right, welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, uh, Mr. Game Shape himself. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? I know what's up. It's Denny's birthday. Oh, what? Oh. Get out of town. Oh. Happy birthday, Denny. Thank you. Thank you so, very much. So you briefly told me that it's you're finding it a little unenthusiastic. Yeah. Turning this age. Why is that? So 29, it's the 29th birthday on the 9th. Shout out to that. I don't know. There's just, you know how you get, and we've talked a bunch about this. There's just like a lot of stuff that you want to do and, you know, you're not getting any younger. So it's, it's not a mortality question. It's just, uh, I don't know. Can I give you some old man wisdom? Oh, I'd love this. This is why I I wanted to talk about it. I can say, uh, through anecdotal experience, not only of my own, but other people, mm-hmm. that your birthdays will... Con- Next year, you get, you get a nice one. Yeah. But then after that, they continue to be less and less enthusiastic as you go on. Okay. Um, less people are going to care. Yeah. Um, truly care. You know, <laughs> like, uh, you're going to have more responsibility, people counting on you, things like that, where... You know, those people, you know, they don't care either that much. You just got to get used to the fact that you don't care. But here's the old man wisdom part of it. It's yeah. like once you hit this age and you start to see people drop off physically, mentally, spiritually in so many ways. Every day is your birthday. Oh. Every day at 30 plus <laughs> is a gift from the universe that you're really not supposed to get. And every day is your birthday. So the trick to being old and happy is to calling that single day a wash. Oh. <laughs> because it's like just not a wash. Yeah. Just lower your expectations. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Try at the bare minimum to have a nice time and a good meal. Yeah. And maybe keep it around there so you're not disappointed. And then, you know, just remember uh, up until a couple hundred years ago, we weren't really supposed to live this long. That's and just, true. And just That's treat true. it like your birthday. You know, <laughs> That's my old man wisdom today. I love it. What was, what was your best birthday ever? Let, let best, me kind of turn the tables. Yeah. You know, the one that immediately comes to mind, just because it's sort of funny, in the context of this show, and maybe the reason why we have this show <laughs> is the reason this is funny. I went to the... I had to work... But then I went to the Court Tavern in New Brunswick for my 21st birthday. And uh, downstairs in the basement, Burning Airlines was playing. Great band. Mm. I was excited to see the show. But simultaneously on the TV was Yankees, I believe, Diamondbacks, Game 4, I believe, on the TV. (laughs) Uh, World Series game. So I went there. I was able to buy drinks, very cheap pitchers at the court tavern, of course, and uh, never made it downstairs for Burning Airlines because I was too <laughs> engrossed in the baseball and turning 21 and just kind of getting hammered. I showed up late anyway. Oh. So that was a nice one. That was yeah. fun. Yeah, man. My 21st. So this kind of show, like I like I know on this pod, I'm like the young person, but uh, I was uh, working packers post game show uh so ringing it in from so from like the eighth to the ninth uh packers were playing falcons monday night football and you're this- so young this is still aaron Rodgers, isn't it yeah it is you're it, too yeah. young. you are young i don't yeah. know 
but so and but then after that i trudged through the wisconsin milwaukee snow grabbed myself a nice highlight then we're off to the races i mean did you at least get yourself some curds oh always some nice always. hot curds yeah. hot curds on a cold <laughs> oh. wisconsin night mm. oh my goodness mm. and then that's, That's why I drink good. nothing but smoothies now because I got to get rid of that residual uh, waste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple times a year, I'll, I'll get some curds. It's oh, I love it. Special yeah. treat. I have a quick tangent here. I don't like that New Jersey is trying to get into the curd game. I went to a restaurant the other day in the state, and they're trying to tell me that they have Wisconsin cheese curds. And guess what? They were just baby mozzarella sticks. <laughs> Not okay. Yeah, no, no, no. I know. <laughs> so... I know we could go for a while on this, but I'll keep it short too. I know what you're talking about. And I've seen kind of these high end curd uh, missions going on on the East Coast. And I have had the same experience where you bite into it and you're like, that's not a curd. That's not a proper curd. It's too soft. It's too gooey. It's not doing the right stuff. So, as I, I don't think, I think it's too strong of a line, Denny, to say keep the curd out of New Jersey. Um, but. I don't like that, you know, because let the good people of New Jersey yeah. enjoy this fine delicacy. But I do agree with you. If you're going to do it, keep it real and get a real Wisconsin cheese curd in there. But you uh, know what else keeps it real, Denny? What? It's just in music history. Oh, come on. oh, I love it. What do you got today? Let's stay on the topic of cultural appropriation. New Jersey is trying to appropriate the Wisconsin cheese curd. He will not have it. I will not. In 1978, the Blues Brothers wow. released wow. the first single, a cover of Soul Man. The original is by Sam and Dave. The Blues Brothers emulated to create their act. Now, we've been through this many times. I have no personal issue with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. It was a different time. This was their way of tipping a cap to something because we didn't totally understand appropriation yet, I guess. It doesn't sit great with me. And I'd like to put it down on wax again that I need a new Blues Brothers with non-white Blues Brothers, please. Someone, someone make this film. It just Or male. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or super... Yeah, why are the... I never thought of that. Too many dudes in the Blues Brothers. Yeah, goodness, it's true. And I don't know if if this all these movies that needed reboots, you know, yeah, like this is one that actually needs one. And also, sometimes I think like women are like better dancers than men, like a lot of the time. So the fact that it, I mean, I mean, I don't think that's controversial. I, 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 you know what? I, I don't know if it's controversial. I don't know if enough about <laughs> dancing, but it sounded controversial. All I know oh. is Denny's drawn some lines today. <laughs> Curd, no curds. Male dancing. Dance. Canceled. <laughs> get out of here. New but, Jersey cheese curds and male dancing. Canceled yeah. by Denny. Oh, it's going to get worse before it gets better today. No, but uh, no, yeah, no. I think we need uh, a... The the the, bruise, the Blues Brothers need a, a facelift, that's for sure. And one of these TikTokers that just lives by the dancing, because the most important thing about a Blues Brother isn't the fact that they can like like sing or like that they're on a mission from God. It's the dancing. It's the most important part of the Blues Brothers. Okay, I'll go with that. So, all right. What do you got? 
on this day, oh, I, uh, I've never been more excited for uh, my Ooh. This Day Music History ever. On this day in 2011, Bruce Springsteen got up on stage with you guys <laughs> at ah, Convention Hall uh, to perform American Slang. I don't think anybody's talked about this ever, at least from what I could see on the interwebs. So what do you remember about that day? I saw that Danny, uh, no, just kidding. What do you remember about that day? You know, that one was like pretty normal show day, really. Like, you know, and um, I haven't thought about this in a minute. You should have gave me some because because <laughs> if I ponder this thought for a minute, I'll probably come up with more. But yeah, I remember it being a pretty normal show day. And like this time, unlike some of the other uh, times we had known for, you know, a minute that this might happen and it's going to happen, we were, you know mentally prepared and knew the day was coming knew to get some gear ready like unlike the first time where we were just like scrambling um and but you know it was one of those things it's like it was the first time i think we had the opportunity uh after uh playing with him in europe to to do it back in the states and we got to do it in asbury so it seemed like just like kind of okay you know if this can happen it should happen well at least ask and you know he was down. So, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't come back to me next week for maybe okay. if you're looking for more of a lurid tale. I love it. Cause I don't have, I don't have one off the top of the dome. A, uh, a, a, a tune up teaser, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah, this I do day... know he famously, if you ask Brian or Ian or one of them, you know, apparently Bruce plays the guitar really hard where like, like those, like, scratches on his pick guard that you yeah. see it like that's not somebody like sandpapering it making look cool he actually like just plays his guitar that hard i love it i feel like that's the only way too because like if you're dancing around that thing it's oh, like yeah. you gotta just fucking go for it yeah i mean there's something you know when you see somebody going like <laughs> like with like pete or towns and style like remember that's like the guitar equivalent of like stick flipping there's yeah. no actual reason to do that to your guitar it, you know it probably makes it sound worse yeah um but it looks fucking cool you know it does look fucking cool to me it does to a drummer it looks cool there's probably guitar players listening who find it the equivalent of the stick flip yeah i also find corny as fuck so yeah oh fun to do with pencils not so much when you're on stage and in front of people hey but... some people rock it nice you know <laughs> that's the thing all right do you want to get the 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 it's not a chore to talk about this, but we got some serious news before we get into some fun things that we have on tap for. Today. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Benny. So, you know, we've talked a bunch on this pod about the Brittany Griner story. Uh, this past week, she was released from Russian custody after being held there uh, for almost nine months on drug charges. Um, she was released on Thursday from Russian prison in a one-for-one -one swap with notorious international arms dealer Victor Bout, um, bringing an end to the ordeal that uh, put Washington and Moscow in a uh, in a in a uh, quite the negotiating. I, you know, I was trying to come up with something clever. Just and, use the sports ones. Use yeah, sports, I mean, because that's oh, what happened. And the worst part of this, but uh, so Victor Bout, notorious arms dealer. Uh, we released him back to Russia. Um, all this with uh, the Ukraine war still looming very much between Russia and them. Um, but Brittany Griner arrived in the U.S. early on on Friday, landing at Kelly Field 
in San Antonio. Obviously, we're very happy that she's back. But Benny, what I wanted to get into with you is about the discourse about all this and how people are talking about it. And it's exactly what you just brought up. The way that we're the the way fleeced was trending and the way that people had brought up certain political talking points when anybody in their right mind, if their loved one came back, would not matter who this country gave up for them. Yeah, I mean, it's also and and it's like the like you're talking about it's the sports commodification of, yeah. of people and, and things like this. Like to me, the important I'm not going to get into a huge like geopolitical thing because this is obviously like complicated centuries, complicated. Uh, You know, they literally made a movie out of this dude. The thing that I think strikes me the most uh, beyond the, 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 the do the crime serve the time people who, you know, like only tend to, to say that when it's just a certain crime and a certain person almost exclusively all the time. So for the most part, they can also go fuck themselves. Uh, the thing that, that, that highlighted to me is like the, just the massive false equivalency of what happened here and the way people's lives are played with due to, you know, chess masters, geopolitical fucking games. Like, you know, to think that we're on the center stage and Brittany Griner is being held in this, in the center for something that is like, uh, uh, painfully undangerous. You know what I mean? Like an amount of this stuff, even if you sold it in Russia, you could sell to like one person. You know what I mean? Like Mm. this wasn't like, uh, some some major haul. This was so clearly, obviously, one person carrying a little bit of like weed oil, which doesn't bother another human soul at all. This guy who you got back for was literally like famous for arming both sides of a conflict. They made that fucking movie Lord of War after him. Like one of the most... You know, I, I'm not going to get into like what this guy did. It's like a, a rap sheet and biographies that I have not read. But, you know, like let's strip everything aside here. Strip away politics, strip away sports. What did this person do and what did the other person do? And why are we even talking about it like it's a real equivalency? Yeah. You know, um, and that's like part of the narrative I want to keep true. You know, you start putting these layers on stuff like this. You forget uh, that one person is painfully wrong. One person is not, and they're being used for something else. And I think that's like my biggest takeaway from this. Yeah. And the, it, it's so complicated that I like the, the even idea of like the, the merchant of, death guy i i heard people say oh yeah but this guy's like past his prime like you're like acquiring andre iguodala back to the warriors Uh so like kemba walker needs a job you know and you know i i I think people try to do this when it's things that you you, like you can't wrap your mind around being a merchant of death like i don't think most people wake up and be like oh like stock market's up the weather is this and i'm gonna like just unload all of this like people can't comprehend that it's like i'll and you know what I can comprehend? Smoking some hash oil. Yeah. 
Like, okay, I don't smoke hash oil. I think it's bad for your throat, probably. But that's the worst thing you're doing with it. You're hurting your own throat, you know, like and then and then there's literally I don't know. What what are we even talking about? It's so absurd when you just start breaking it down to its core, you know. But what I wanted to ask you, because we are a sports program that talks about music and a music program that talks about sports. Do you think we're going to see Griner play basketball again? Because I know that that's so it, it doesn't matter in the context of, of this conversation, but for her to be able to mentally get back to a place where she can perform, I think that's an interesting that, that that's going to be an interesting road back. Yeah, sure. It's going to be. I mean, like everything about what's going to happen now for her is yeah. interesting. I mean, they showed that first video where a camera is like up in her face and fuck, she looked just shell shocked. Yeah. You know, like like the way I see her right now is like like Tom Hanks and Castaway when he came home. Like there's a lot of avenues and I hope that basketball or not, they're just healthy and positive and get back to a good place, you know. But shout out to everybody that made this happen. I know that that could not have, have been easy. I can't imagine what negotiating like a people swap is like. Uh, it's, these are the times when I'm so glad I chose my life, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. All right. Do you want to move on to some please, uh, happier please, news? All right. Please, please. Well, you know, we've talked a bunch about this woman on, on the pod recently, and Benny Taylor Swift is set to make her directorial feature debut. Come I don't on, know if I, if I said that right. Under, and this is the most important part, this isn't like, some like big universal movie. This isn't an MGM movie. It's searchlight pictures mm-hmm, mm-hmm. under the Disney umbrella that you already kind of had a deal with. Yeah. Um, the pop sensation has penned an original script. So she wrote the thing and it will be produced by the studio. Benny, I'm very excited about this. I actually got run over by her in complete entourage up there at TIFF. Um, <laughs> but she talked about her influence for like uh, uh, her movie influence from older movies like Love Story. Love that one. The Ally McGraw picture and like a 17 mm-hmm. Candles kind of thing. I'm excited what to expect from a Taylor Swift movie, especially coming out under the searchlight thing. I think it's a win-win for both sides. Yeah, this is great. It's fun. You know, um, you know, it, it's funny. It's like Sometimes, you know, when when you know a lot of artists, the difference in the things you can accomplish is really your access. Like, do you know how many people I know who have movie scripts? Yeah. Like, a, a, there's a few. Yeah. Half does. And, you know, credit to you, because, like, most of them don't get off your desk. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and then you just have to sit there and go, you know, I wrote a movie script once, too. Um, and the being Taylor Swift you get to write your first movie script when you're just fucking around. And because of this, of course it's going to get <laughs> bought and been produced by searchlight pictures and probably like have something really cool behind it. So, you know, that's a, I guess a fun part of being Taylor Swift yeah. is that like any artistic endeavor that you can think you will get the full and ultimate backing for, which rules, um, you know, what's cool about Taylor here. What's cool? only 32. I know. And, you know, this is a heck of her career and, um, you know, a lot of weight behind her hands already, uh, you know, at this age and going into these many different directions. Like, 
I'm I'm excited to follow Queen Taylor as she she moves moves up and starts working through stuff. Do we know? So this is a this is a romantic picture. Is it a romantic comedy? I don't or know. Just like a straight romance. There there have been no details about what the okay. story actually is. She gonna I, be in it? You think? I don't. I feel like she might put herself in it. Uh, I feel like that's that that that's a hard thing to do. But here's where I think for a searchlight, this makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, we've seen uh movie after movie fail this year that like they put a lot of stock in i mean like we just saw um the rocks black black adam is gonna lose a lot of money and that's a comic book movie um i think uh don't worry darling which is a the olivia wilde movie had had a lot of uh goss, gossip and drama and stuff like that that movie i think barely broke even so i think the hope here from searchlight is that ta- who gets people more excited and out of their seat than Taylor Swift? And I think that that's what they're going to bring in. But whether she's going to be in it or, or not, I think that changes everything. She was very good in Amsterdam. And I've said that many times on the podcast. Um, you can watch that video on demand right now. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Does she want to do that? Because that's hard. That's hard to direct yourself. It is. Well, I don't. I mean, she didn't say she was going to direct. Yeah. You is. know, so. Oh, it. Oh, so yeah. This is the direct. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So she's probably not going to be in it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch that part of it. So. Okay. All right, moving on. But Queen Taylor, Queen Taylor, Can't shout wait. out to you. Keeping Can't it real. See. I hope her uh, fans get some class action money from Ticketmaster. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, we we wanted to keep it, it, it lighter today, but yeah. justice for all these people. Um. <laughs> all right, Benny. We have a, a a departure of sorts to talk about today. Trevor Noah has ended his daily show with tenure. Uh, he did the last episode on Thursday. Uh, Noah came after Jon Stewart, who famously led the show. It's the great heights, stepped down. And uh, Jon Stewart kind of led America through like 9-11, the conflicts in the Middle East. Uh, Noah, you know, had had his opportunity to shine with Duke COVID, doing the show from home, um, the Black Lives Matter protests and all of this stuff. And brought, you know... Where where Stewart was intellectual, uh, but kind of bombastic. I, I I always thought that Noah was intellectual and a little bit more subdued. And I think that's why if you found it and you rocked with it, he was your guy. But like it didn't have as broad of mainstream heights as the John Stewart show. But uh, nuance in in this age is is a rare thing, especially to bring on cable television. So Benny, uh, where did you land on the Trevor Noah era? I always liked it. I did. Like I never, you know, I was skeptical at first just because like most people, I really didn't know much about Trevor Noah when he started the job and I quickly grew to like him. It's a very likable personality and vibe, obviously like uh, super smart. And then as the years went on, I, you know, I think it was just more of a result of me watching less scroll around TV yeah. than I did in the John Stewart era. I kind of lost the, you know, the narrative of sitting down and watching The Daily Show all the time. But um, anytime there was like a critical issue, particularly with like, you know, civil rights and police brutality and, you know, things like that, I definitely looked to him as like a voice that I respected to listen to. And and I think he was quite good at doing that thing John Stewart did, which was contextualizing like an awful situation into a way that's moderately funny 
and finding like some sliver of something in it, you know, that's maybe like positive or uh, critical of the right people. Um, and I hope he like remains that voice. Maybe I was wondering, you know, maybe the best access to having that voice for someone like that is not being the host of the daily show anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe he's to a point leaving the format behind, but I hope him as a, as a, as a voice and an entertainer, like sticks around. Cause I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. No nuance guy. Love, lo- love his vibe, love his energy and all of that stuff. But this is such, this is another huge loss for comedy central who oh boy comedy central in 2022 compared to like comedy. Central yeah. What like do they 20- have now? What, what's nothing? Yeah. What's on the comedy central I have roster no idea. currently? I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know if they still replay uh, the workaholics. Do you remember that show? Like Adam yeah. Devine. Is, I mean, well, to I think know. that there was an hour of television on comedy central that was like critical news programming sort of yeah. for people, <laughs> you know, between uh, Colbert and, and, and Stewart. It's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. It's going to be like an interesting thing to tell the next generation about. Cause they're, they're not going to understand the concept of what we were doing sort of, you know, yeah. I hope in in terms of replacement, I hope they give my guy Roy Wood Jr. a look because the crazy thing about some of the correspondence that they have now, we've had Roy on the radio like a bunch, like right when he was starting, I like the Daily Show and like stuff like that. And man, you want to talk about a a funny guy who would go right in that lineage. Roy is the man, dude. But wait, what if Comedy Central, let me offer this pivot. Yeah. What if they go the other way? There's a lot of old, like, night show hosts who are free agents currently. Okay. The free agent market is thick for night show hosts. Like, you could go out right now and make an offer to Conan. Oh. You could make an offer to James Corden. You know, you could make an offer to a lot of these people who have recently... Craig Kilborn. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not that one. Um, But, yeah, like, like, I think maybe that's the pivot for comedy central and the daily show if they want to like get some legs behind this thing again because mm. at this point i think the daily show property just the name yeah. is bigger than uh any host they could bring up from from the the annals of the show so i'd say i give conan a call give conan conan's daily show i don't know yeah, i'd um, watch it i'd check he, it out he just signed uh he's he's my co-worker now so you know he's 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 got some uh tv legs to stretch if you yeah will. that's what i'm so, saying all right um, you heard it here first oh benny do you want to talk about bringing some uh, a blast from the past if you will i do i hope it has something to do with jackie chan oh it does jackie chan made a <laughs> rare on stage appearance at the red sea film festival on thursday where he told fans that he is currently in talks to make a fourth rush hour movie he said we're talking about part four right now um he did not add about any details of the script including director um the the director brett ratner who did the first three has wound up in a little bit of trouble during the me too era um so we're not sure that we're going to get him back but there's plenty of really good comedy directors right now especially if you look in in tv so but that aside rush hour four what do you think i'm here for whatever ridiculous yeah they come out of that like we talk about this a lot in this program is the types of expectations you should have for movies and if rush hour four is coming out my expectations are are subterranean (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's no way this movie could disappoint me. Just put them in it. Yeah. Just make it over the top. Really go heavy handed and lean into the fact that you're rush hour for it. I'll probably love it because that's the kind of movie it's supposed to be. Yeah. I think the biggest part of this article that I didn't realize was was Jackie Chan getting uh, accidentally hit by Bruce Lee. Did you oh, hear this part oh, of the yeah, story? Yeah, yeah, so he got hit by Bruce Lee when they were filming a scene when he was merely a, a stunt double. He apparently like played into it like he was hurt more than he was. And Bruce Lee was very like sympathetic all day long. And then he got a bunch more movies out of it because he like played into it and started getting bread as the next Bruce Lee. So that was a pretty interesting part of the story. He like wanted Bruce Lee to hit him and it helped his career, you know? There's Damn. not a lot of people that famous that you get famous if you get hit by them. It's pretty much like Mike Tyson and him, you know? He went all personal injury lawyer on Bruce Lee and his <laughs> career. Just Kinda, he really play, it seems like he really played into <laughs> Bruce Lee's empathy there, you know? Oh, it's, man. Which as a guilt-ridden person, I, I, I do resent a little Jackie Chan. <laughs> you know? um, but a, a lot of people talking about this movie and, you know, the fact that... Uh, Culturally, there were some problems when they did the first few, but it's like, I think that there's like a really clever way to like do a wink and a nod to, hey, yeah. that was the 90s and this is now. Or you kind of go 48 hours with it where you're just <laughs> like, one of them admits, hey, like back in the 90s, I was kind of racist. I didn't yeah. get it. Sorry. You know? Oh, man. <laughs> Boy, this podcast today, let me just tell you, like, it's very 90s centric. Because guess what we're going to talk about now? We're going to, we talked about Rush Hour, and now we're going to talk about Deion Sanders. Oh, come on. Oh, Neon Deion. They still ne call him that? Coach Prime, Neon Deion, is heading to Colorado. Um, Deion Sanders will be the next coach of the the next football coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, the school announced last Saturday, uh, instantly making him one of the most compelling. I hires of the offseason and perhaps in, in this generation of college football with the transfer portal it makes everything very interesting um sanders comes after three years of coaching jackson state um tigers 12 and 0 completed an, an undefeated season last saturday with a 43 24 win over southern in the swac championship uh Coach Prime has made a name for himself more as like a media property and, and going viral but he also has a 12 and 0 thing uh, 12 and 0 season under his belt too. What do you make of uh, Coach Prime bolting a, a HBCU for the Green Pastures of Colorado? Uh, you know, my first instinct was a little confused, you know, and I think like, you know, he went undefeated this season, mm -hmm. put himself fully back on the map. And at first I'm like, oh, I thought like Dion was going to like, you know, save this conference and like bring like, you know, eyes back here and like build it into this thing. And he would be like the king of it. Um, and then you sit on it. You remember, Oh, wait, 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 this is Deion Sanders. Like this is the same dude who like played in a football game and a playoff baseball game in the same day. <laughs> like this guy's not like doing anything. That's not like ascending to the absolute top. Right. And and he's young and he just had this massively successful season. And I think he just sees, you know, even though Colorado, what they've sucked for a couple years now, yeah, like not, not, great, not yeah. a good program, but you know, he sees an opportunity to go coach in the pack 10, right? Yeah. 
you know, and like all of a sudden you're in the same conference as uh, Arizona, USC. Washington, Utah, Stanford, USC, Oregon, Oregon State, uh, UCLA, um, you know, the Arizonas like, you know, these are p- p- power schools for, for a lot of these. Not, you know, it's not SEC or something, but, you know, if all of a sudden uh, next year, Colorado, you know, wins a few of these marquee, you know, pack. Uh, Pac-12 games and then, you know, uh, gets into a bowl game and there's this turnaround, then all of a sudden he's ascended to a much higher point than he was Mm -hmm. last year. And what's the next logical step after that? NFL? Dallas Cowboys? (laughs) Kind of, right? (laughs) Like, I think that's what he's aiming for. And So, you know, if he can go from like the first college job he had, being there for only a couple years, making it undefeated, doing the same thing at Colorado in maybe a couple of years and they get into the NFL. I think this is what he is trying to ascend to. And the idea that he was going to keep coaching there, have a couple grind out good seasons down there and wait for the right job and stuff is very un Deion Sanders. So like at first I didn't like it. And, and then about 12 hours later, uh, it was totally predictable and I loved it. What a massive win for Colorado in this age of conference realignment because we're yeah. moving to two conferences. You have Dion, you have a winning program. If it is going to be the SEC and the Big Ten or the two conferences, your ticket's right there and you've probably boosted the am- amount of revenue share that you're going to get. So for Colorado, home run, absolutely. Uh, a lot of people not thrilled about this because they bought into, you know, they... They bought into Dion's words about, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm here to like build yeah. up HBCU football. Yeah. Man, how long have we known this guy in the public consciousness? Exactly. Uh, he is not a liar, but he, and I'm not saying that at all, but I, I just have to say, like, if a guy comes in and says that he's on this mission from God, yeah, exactly. I mean, not to bring up the Blues Brothers again, but you got to be a little leery here. It's like, it's like that line that I quite like from the big short, <laughs> which is, he's so transparent in his own self-interest that I kind of trust him. Yeah. You know, that's what I feel about the Sanders. Yeah. Like, like, come on, what were you thinking? And the one thing I'm happy about at least is that, you know, this transfer portals are legitimate mm. now. NIL is on the table and the kids who did maybe get duped by some of this, the kids who went to Jackson state yeah. and the kids who are going to get kicked the fuck off Colorado, <laughs> which is definitely going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, at least there's options for these kids now. They're not like totally against the wall. Yeah. And I mean, as we've seen with USC this year, you can pick up a program like Lincoln Riley. He just took up Oklahoma, moved it to USC. And next thing you know, you're in the college football playoff conversation. So Dion can definitely do that. Um, the, the amount of people that would be excited to play for him at, at a D1 school, absolute home run. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And we don't want to get into the parts I were not qualified to talk about with this, um, with the Deion Sanders stuff. I know like a lot of people um, have meant, have talked about what this means for HBCU football going forward. That's not really our bag, but... Yeah. Well, you just said home run, so... Yeah. That's a uh, nice... Oh. Oh. Nice transition, huh, pal? Oh, my goodness. One day you're going to host a show and I can sit back and comment. Um, all right. Aaron Judge is staying in the Bronx. Uh, the superstar slugger, reigning AL MVP, is reportedly signing back up with the New York Yankees on a nine-year, $360 million deal. That, according to multiple reports. Benny, got to just tee it up like this. What does this mean for the Yankees? And what does this mean for Aaron Judge? 
I mean, winner and winner, 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 chicken dinner, you know, like what it means for the Yankees. They got their guy. Uh, Hal did the thing he was supposed to do, which was put in the offer, get more money on the table to get it done. Uh, it's in the basic narrative that judge took less money to come back to New York, which, uh, will immediately give him G Terry and like, uh, eminence over the New York Yankees for a while, because, you know, you know, I think as a Yankees fan, sometimes you expect people to kind of, you know, use you a little bit. You're the Yank, you know, this is one time someone's like, Oh, Aaron judge is our guy came up through our system. I heard about Aaron Judge years before he came before the Yankees, you know, before he got up to the big leagues. And then he had that crazy rookie season. And you're like, oh, no, is this guy ever going to be like who you thought he was going to be? And then he has this season. Like, I need to see how this narrative played out in a Yankees uniform. And I'm super glad I get to do it because it's sort of those like generationally cool sports things that you don't get a lot. You know, Jay-Z said it best, like, you know, the. The Yankee hat is is a thing cooler than a Yankee can. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, you know, so um, I love that. And then for the Yankees, again, winners like sure they overpaid. Whoever was going to get him was going to have to overpay. And that was the market. But they got their guy. He's back. The Yankees were going to look really thin without judge on that roster. I mean, you go through and looking at their depth and. You're hoping some kids make a jump and stuff. But, uh, you know, so as a Yankees fan, I'm like, good, that's done. I'm immediately moving on to like what needs to be done to make this a World Series contending team. And, you know, they brought back Rizzo. They have a a deal on the table for Tommy Canely, like, you know, nice relief. But they already lost Talion. And, um, you know, the Yankees got some work to do to put Judge in a position to win now, which is, you know, all he owes you now is uh, what, you know, a respectable batting average, 40 plus home runs and 100 plus RBIs every year for the next five years. That's what you just bought. And you got to put that on a team that can win. So what does that look like? What does what are the Yankees next steps here? I mean, it's tough to see, you know, there's a lot of positions in the Yankees where they do have young players who are fairly ready to step into prominent roles, you know, the, you know, the Oswaldos and, you know, you hear more and more about Anthony Volpe being ready and a couple arms being ready. But so you kind of hope right now for that mix of, uh, you know, veteran leadership and, and rookies and young players getting better. And that's a fun thing as a Yankees fan, because, you know, often we're tied to just like these giant contracts and people living up to those contracts. And we actually have a chance to see some young players get better. But that being said, with some of the moves other teams are making, particularly in the National League, if you want to get through to the World Series, more than likely it's going to take something more than that. Um, Verlander's off the table. DeGrom's off the table. Bogarts, uh, you know, Turner. So all the, the real big swinging, swinging dicks are off the table. And, you know, Yankees got to get get clever filling out this roster how would you uh is correa still on, on the market how would you feel about that addition even though i'd he, feel he i'd feel fine about that but yeah. i think because of his name yeah i have a feeling correa is going to get a pretty mega deal that yeah. the yankees aren't willing to spend after that 
Uh, if I was to see the Yankees spend some money right now, I think it would be more on Dansby Swanson. Mm. Um, but, you know, you're still going to have to pay that guy a lot of money. Yeah. And there are people, you know, in the Yankees farm system really ready to come in and take over some infield positions, especially short. Um, so I think you really got to look to the uh, to the starting uh, starting rotation um, more than anything. That's the the thing where there's still a couple names out there. Um, Carlos Radon's still out there. Yankees want to throw money that way. I wouldn't mind. Um, and and I think that's the way you got to fill out the roster right now. And I mean, really, these Josh Donaldson, uh, Aaron Hicks spots in the lineup are are to me, dead spots that could use a little work at this point mm. too. So if we can alter those spots in the Yankees roster, I would love it. So if you had your druthers, are you investing, like if, if you had to pick one, are you investing in the rotation or do you want to bolster those dead spots? I'm If if I had one or the other, I'm investing in the rotation. And at the very least, I got a bunch of kids to root for. And when yeah. when you lose rooting for kids who are ascending, it feels a lot better, you know? Yeah, you know that's kind of that that that's been such a a weird decade for the Yankees of pretty much doing this like like we've been doing this for almost almost ten years now like rooting for these like young kids that come up and and take the jump and you know what um you know the judge thing worked out but for every judge you have a, a Gary Sanchez who's playing somewhere else so uh time time will tell if uh that will be enough to get Judge the talent he needs to bring a championship to the Bronx but. That's right. Let's uh let's turn our attention to the winter meetings, shall we? Oh, yeah. Benny, aside from the judge contract, what was your favorite move from the winter meetings? You know, there's a couple of smaller moves that I thought were quite good, especially the early moves. I liked uh what the Angels were doing, um signing Tyler Anderson on a very modest deal to to help out the the starting rotation and then adding um Gio Urshela um and um some of those couple real like just major league uh, ready players who who they desperately need, you know. So the Angels made some nice moves. I love, you know, Cleveland makes a little run last year. Everyone forgets it's a really young team. It would have been easy to kind of just sit there and they signed Josh Bell, who's really a pro hitter, an underrated hitter, to a, a, a very reasonable two year deal to fill out that roster. And I like that uh, instead of backing off, they're kind of still keeping their uh, foot on the gas. Um, the Mets, I'm a little torn on both ways because okay. I quite like bringing back Verlander at that two-year deal to replace DeGrom. DeGrom, it seems, was out regardless. Uh, I think from all indications, DeGrom's a little bit of a good old boy and was kind of done with New York. Hmm. And it, it, so I don't think there is any money they could have given him to stay commuting to Queens every day, which I don't <laughs> think he liked. Um, so I liked replacing with Verlander, but then some of the other moves, I really like, I'm a Brandon Nimmo fan. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a really nice player and I root for him and I take him onto my fantasy teams, but fuck eight years, $162 million for Brandon Nimmo. Who's like never hit 20 home runs, never batted 300, never won a gold glove, never done anything. And he's already 30. So I think uh, the biggest thing I'm taking from the winter meetings is, is how thin this outfield market is and the gross overpays by the Mets and also the Red Sox and this um, Japanese player. Uh, there's, there's been a couple 
signings to me that scream desperation. Mm-hmm. And there is, it's like as the NBA is ready to, to, you know, bring two more teams into the league because the talent pool is really that thick. And there's so many useful players on every NBA team that you could see them expanding two more teams. I think the opposite is having in baseball, you know, and you have this just thinning, thinning talent pool and these teams and operations with a massive amount of money. They're like, please let me spend it. Who do I even spend it on? And, and the markets get so inflated because of that. And man, I think you're looking at some serious, uh, uh, serious blowback deals um, from all of this. Oh, and the biggest fuck you deal I've seen in all of this is the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, you know, have had one of the, the greatest catchers in the, arguably the history of baseball for the last like 20 plus years. Yadier Molina retires. And who do they replace him with? But their arch rivals, starting catcher Contreras on a five year deal like 85 million bucks he's a great hitter the the new dh rules are really going to help him and i think he's really going to thrive in st louis and i'm thinking about that lineup with goldschmidt and him and arenado and some of the youth and uh yeah the the cubs are one of those teams that i think is gonna uh really regret their offseason next uh, once they get out they gave Los Contreras, gave cody bellinger nearly 20 million dollars on sort of a flyer deal Took Talion from the Yankees on four years, who's, you know, mid-range pitcher. So I think uh, I'm, I'm seeing like the Cubs and the Red Sox as the losers so far. Mm-hmm. The Mets to be determined. Um, and come on, who's the big winner? Yankees. Yankees. You got you got <laughs> Judge. Come on. Um, all right. So who is the most interesting player who didn't sign yet, and where do you see them going? Yeah, I think Radon. Yeah. moves the needle the most right now as far as just like that's someone you can slide immediately into a number one or number two rotation slot um i think he's gonna get big money the giants obviously want to spend and you know no one wants to go there yet <laughs> so i think you know, there's a good chance he goes there and then you know we're sort of waiting on the carlos correa and dansby swanson markets to fall and that's going to kind of going to trickle the rest off. Um, But I think the Giants, excuse me, are really looking to make a splash and kind of struck out on everybody so far. So I'm kind of liking Carlos Correa to the Giants right now. And two other teams that we got to get to here, uh, the Padres. uh, Obviously won the offseason last year. What did you like that they did and uh, where where could they use some work? I love what they did. I mean, this is like... uh, the Padres are like a video game baseball team. You know, they're basically like, you know, this guy was AJ Preller. He literally runs the team. Like I would run a video game team. It's like, Oh shit, Xander. I don't care what it costs. Like, what does it matter? It's a video game. Get him on here. Um, so the thing as just a fan of baseball, the idea that I get to watch a lineup next year with Manny Machado, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Xander Bogarts is awfully exciting and fun. And I am glad I'm not in the National League right now and have to get through that lineup on a regular basis. I mean, currently, only one team has ever had four players with an above six WAR. Do you know what that team is? 
1927 Yankees. I thought so. I thought yeah, Murderer's Row. <laughs> so the last time on paper, somebody put together four bats, or not even just bats, impact players, because these are just good players all around uh, defensively too. So um, this this could be like a real stunning, cool thing. And I, I love the way San Diego's running their team um, because I'm not a San Diego fan yeah, and I don't have to worry you. about their bill, <laughs> but I get to watch them play, you know? Um, and then we got to, you know, real quick, just talk about the Red Sox. Um, last year, you know, it was a season to forget for them. What what do you like what they do? What kind of grade do you give the boys in Boston? I think they're in that position where they had money. They want to improve. They probably knew they were going to lose Bogarts. And they went in on some stuff. Like, I like the the signing of Kenley Jansen. Um, I mean, it's a lot of money giving $16 million a year to a pretty old closer. But um, Jansen is, at this point, you know, among start putting him in the top 10 the best closers in history of baseball statistically and mm-hmm. and especially in some of his postseason work so um i like that deal but i hate the deal they gave to the the kid from japan the outfielder i mean you know it's hard to gauge that stuff but you just so rarely see that play out in the way it should and there were some other names there that would have been kind of safer options you you see the way this kid is projecting and projects like a nice player but not a player worth that money and then they lost bogart so uh and this is shortly after losing mookie Betts and and a lot of other impact players i think i think uh there's a little bit of trouble in red sox land music to my absolute ears (laughs) um all right plenty of ways to get in contact with the show you can email us at the tune up podcast at gmail.com uh two p's in there uh, if you want to follow, follow us on all the social platforms, we're at the Tune Up HQ on on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. We're there, uh, guys. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. A lot of great stuff coming there. Some web exclusives. You don't want to miss out on any of that. Uh, and be sure to follow the big man Benny Horowitz on Instagram. I'm at Denny Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? You know, let's have a good week, Denny. Yeah. Let's treat every day like our birthday, huh? Let's treat it like our birthday. Happy birthday, Denny. Have a nice day. Come on. The show has ended, but today's just getting started. You've been listening to and watching The Tune-Up.